Hello, and welcome to the Property Solopreneur podcast, a show for property investors and developers who want to build and grow their own profitable businesses. I'm sharing with you my decades of property experience and interviewing many other successful property people who are happy to share their varied and priceless knowledge freely. Business doesn't need to be hard and nor do you need to be lucky. But as a certified strategist, I know you need a plan to work to. And a good start is by listening to other people's successes and failures. Why reinvent the wheel? This allows us to have a more in-depth knowledge of the wider property world. Welcome to this week's episode of The Property Solopreneur. And often when I'm talking to clients, they tell me they can't do something in property and then they give me a reason that's actually only in their heads. It's not a real excuse, although honestly, it does feel like it to the person who's experiencing it. Now, these excuses are many, but most are absolutely fixable. You know, if you don't know enough, well, go on a course or get some mentoring. Everything can be learnt. But there are a few that can be cured just by seeing somebody else do exactly what you think you can't do because. Think you're too young? Well, listen to episode 17 with Arthur Delima. Think you're too old? Oh, get out there. Honestly, the property world is heaving with grey-haired investors, many of whom have not done this since they were 18. They've done it since retirement and they are loving what they're doing and absolutely smashing it. But sometimes women tell me they don't do you know, the building bit, the building from scratch investing, because they're women. And building sites and construction, it's a man's world, isn't it? No, it's most definitely not. Take it from one who had a renovations company. Women are all over construction. And if, you just, if that's all that's holding you back, then listen and watch my next guest, Manny Chopra. She didn't get the memo that this might be a problem. She saw an opportunity to build for rent and to build exactly what she needed for long-term wealth creation. And she just got going. And that's what we all need to do. Just get going, regardless of what small excuse is stopping us. Welcome, Manny, to The Property Solopreneur. And one of the things that most people won't realise is that you've been doing this for 13 years, haven't you? Yeah. How did you get into doing property? Well, I think my kids were very little back then. They were not very little, but they were like in their eight, they were nine and seven, I think, at the time. And I was sort of quite keen to spend a bit more time with them. I was doing IT at the time and I wasn't that great at it, to be honest, Rachel. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I'm not great at this. I don't want to spend any more hours doing this. I'm not getting paid much for this. Where is go you know, where is this going? And I was desperate to be my own boss and spend more quality time with the kids and have that flexibility when the kids were little, you know, the school drops and the picks. And they were kind of like really keen for me to pick them up a bit more often. And they would be like a bit whingy about that and say, mum, you know, pick us up from school or, you know, and I, that was really, you know, how a typical mum's heartstrings you pull out. And then I was like, so, so did you, did you go to buy to let first or what was your very first thing you did? Funnily enough, I jumped straight into HMOs because I had a target that by the end, so I took a sabbatical from work in 2010 and I said, look, at the end of this sabbatical 12-month period, I want to be in a position to replace most of my income. So I think net yep. income around that time, I think I was making about two and a half grand, around two and a half to three grand, something like that. And I thought, look, if I can get that from two HMOs, so I did a yep. couple, some training. I didn't just know about HMOs. Obviously, I learned and educated yeah. myself. Got yourself clued up. Got myself learned up, learned about the courses. And I thought, you know what? 
There's no other strategy for me. I'm not hanging around for another 10 bytelets, 200 pounds each bytelet. And then, you know, five years later, that's going to be no good for me. 12 months, four grand, done, and then leave. So this is what I did. I did two HMOs straight away. Fantastic. And then, um, you know, and you, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is if anyone follows you on Instagram, they'll see you often on in high vis, hard hat, in a wind blown moment outside of development, because you build, don't you? Which I find really exciting when I find women who are really hands on in construction. You you don't just go and find any old building. You do everything, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I think I've had a dozen sort of different strategies. So I started off with HMOs and then went on to new builds, which was great, but very, very challenging. And now my focus is mainly commercial to residential. So technically, I guess that's development, whereas, you know, HMOs are not considered development, even though there can be quite a lot of structural work involved in converting houses into HMOs. Absolutely. But I would have thought, though, with your doing your commercial um, conversions now, all that time you spent on building out of the ground, that must have been just such a uh, building block almost for you, uh, learning, because there's not... There's so much to do when you convert a building, isn't there? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, although I'm not, I must confess, I don't get involved with the extremely technical aspects. I understand what buildings are and how it works, but you're not going to find me on site 24 hours a day. That's not my role nope. in the business. However, I feel, you know, as a developer, you're more like a conductor in the business. You're not, I yep. won't say you're kind of jack of all trades, but you're more like you're not great in any one thing but you're good at everything pretty much across the board yeah and you've got to understand how they all work together haven't you yeah I think so I think it's all about getting it all together and being this project manager type person who you know who gets it together but you have to be right at the very beginning finding the deal securing it negotiating it getting investors on board you know what I mean all of that right till the end till you either sell it or rent it Yes, there's quite a big train. And one of the things that I know that you've been very good at is that you have worked with other people's money, haven't you? You like working with investors. Can you talk us through how you find new investors? And and as I know that once you once people have worked with you, they like they stay with you, don't they? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, most of my investors have come through networking events. Obviously, as you know about the Titans community, and we've yes. built up an amazing community. And I would say Majority of my investors are from the community, really, I'll be honest with you. I haven't like had anybody, you know, we've had conversations through LinkedIn and other platforms, but nothing's really come to fruition. I think you have to know someone really well and they have to know you in order for them to be confident of investing in you, in the deal. You know what I mean? I think it's got to come from a yes. long-term relationship. It, it is. I, it, it, you know, you hear, I, I know there's some people talking at the moment on the property circuit about how you can just miraculously get investors out of thin air through LinkedIn and, and just having a great Instagram account. But actually, it is about real networking, face-to-face -face eyeballing, isn't it? Coffee mornings, phone calls, yes. and meeting them regularly. So what happens in the community, obviously, you have events. And as a natural yep. course of time, you meet them at those various events. They get to see you in natural, uh, you know, in your natural, as your natural self, rather than something totally artificial. And you get to know them. So I think it's sort of a, a two-way process. And I think, you know, you've got to be very, very picky when it comes to investors. As much as investors pick you, you need to pick them as well correctly, because it's like a marriage almost, you know, and you have to get yep. on and like each other. Yes. And 
Absolutely. And of course, everyone always thinks that the investor with the money is the really important part. But actually, your skill has been to be able to find quite a long and great trains worth of projects. You've done over 30 in the London area and down the M4 corridor where everybody says you can't find anything. So how do you go about finding your next great project? To be honest with you, right now, where we're in the market space, I think this is a buyer's market. There's a whole lot of deals out there. Deals are falling through. I just got a call yesterday from a commercial agent saying that there was a project we built, we bid for and that we didn't secure. We were the underbidders, uh, one of the underbidders. And I think we lost it by about maybe 100 grand price difference, a very upmarket area, uh, Gerald's Cross, if you if you ask. If you, I know Gerald's Cross you know very well, well, yes. And, and he called me and he said the uh, buyer was trying to chip the price down and the seller wasn't having it because it was quite an exclusive property in an exclusive location. And they said, look, we're just going back to all the underbidders and finding out if they're still interested. And then, you know, maybe doing a second round again or finding out, you know, which, so we don't know yet. It's early days. But what I'm trying to say is a lot of deals are falling through the market, whether it's in the residential space or commercial. Finding deals right now is probably very easy. But obviously, you know, suffice to say, you have to still be online. You have to still be with the agents, getting the relationships with the agents, building that up, keeping that going and keeping an eye online and seeing what's going on, you know, creating alerts, following those. It's just a a weekly exercise that you have to do. It's a process. Absolutely. And you are, as you say, concentrating at the moment on commercial to residential. And you like mixed use, don't you? And I, for those of you who have never come across Manny before, I suggest you go and look onto her website because your projects are beautifully explained there, where you've got pictures and floor plans. And you can go, now I see it. You know, it's, it's easy to see a set of numbers and not get a feel for the buildings, but they were there. Um, oh, you. you know. That's that's what I really liked. And one of the things that you did put in your, on your website is that you like to focus on a secondary high street. For those of you who don't know, what is a secondary high street? So you have the primary retail high street, which is where all the the main people, you know, like the, the, the bakers, the Wenzels, the uh, Greggs, and those are the primary, every area has a primary high street. Yes. The secondary ones are slightly off like say if you have a residential area mainly, but you'll have three or four shops there, which is like in a corner somewhere, just four or five shops. It's a parade, but it's not technically a high street, but it's a small parade of shops where over time people have converted, you know, one house, another house, part of the house, just the ground floor even maybe into into, uh, barbers, hairdressers, nail salons, all that sort of stuff. Those have become the secondary parade. It's not the main high street in your area. It's just a small five or six shops, maybe slightly more in a corner, tucked in somewhere within a residential space. So you're absolutely, so you're going to get nice, quiet places to live, yet there is still space for all those little tiny niche businesses that just want a little somewhere to, to perch, isn't it? I agree. When you find this new space that you're going to work on, how do you go about deciding what you want to do with it? Do you, because you, presumably you have to go to planning or are you all doing all this under, under permitted development? So right now there's a huge opportunity to convert commercial class E buildings. So, you know, bank buildings, restaurants, offices, solicitors' offices, you know, all of these come under what you may call the class E. So basically, there's a permitted development rights at the moment to convert these class E buildings into residential 
If it's not in a conservation area, you can even convert the prime facade of the actual shop into residential, the ground floor itself. But if it's in the conservation area, then you have to provide a heritage statement and prove why you think this building is better as a residential than a commercial. And so we're looking at just using these permitted development rights, uh, which is basically 56 days deemed consent. But there is some criteria that you have to still meet. So, you know, you still have to meet space standards, daylight and sunlight. You need to make sure it's not in a contaminated area, not in a flood zone. Uh, you need to have sound, make sure you're not creating too much extra sound in the area, especially if it's in a secondary parade, you have a lot of residential around you. So you're not creating excessive noise with the, with the conversion that you're doing. So all those different criteria that you still have to meet is like a mini planning application, but it's deemed consent right. after 56 days if the council doesn't come back to you. So it's a, you're in a much more powerful position. However, there are still permitted development applications that councils are rejecting as well. So you have to be very careful. Oh, are they? Oh, right. Have you ever had to go to appeal? So on our deal in Henley, which was a bank building, we were converting. So you had the bank and a corner plot and the primary facade of the actual bank, we were keeping as commercial. And then where the bank was in the corner street, we were converting part of that flat, uh, part of that space as residential and two residential flats on the first floor. Now, they are, they didn't get back to us within 56 days. So that's firstly unlawful. We then obviously, we didn't get, get any news from them. So we obviously chasing them, chasing them. And then they came back saying, well, you're, it's rejected. And the reason why they rejected it is because it was a large freehold building. As part of the freehold building, you had the bank, which we were buying, and the commercial space with the bank. But there was already part of the building that was converted on long leasehold flats, like many years All ago. Right. So part of the building. So they're saying, well, that's the reason why it's not class E is because you already have residential as part of that. But we said, well, we're not even that is not even a part of the permitted development application. And anyway, so that was one thing. But the main thing that they we got them was the fact that they didn't come back to us in 56 days. And they said to us, sorry, our IT systems were down. And we're like, not our problem. This is our problem. I mean, like, imagine if we had said that to them, if we had a deadline to meet and we would say, oh, sorry, IT, would they, you know, would that run? No. So yes. That, that, that seems a bit small, doesn't it, as, as sort of problems go. Did you actually have to go and, and I mean, I, I know I have, I, I was arguing against someone. Did you have to go in person and, and give your statements? We had to hire a planning lawyer, a barrister, uh -huh. and he then sent the letter and literally within 24 hours, this wrote, wrote back to saying, granted. It's amazing what a lawyer's letter can do sometimes, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's worth its weight. Worth its weight in gold. I know, and and often I I think that people do overlook the importance of these secondary lawyers that you don't need when you first start. But as you get your power teams together, you realise that you do need someone who you can ring up and go. I just need that silver bullet sent nice and quickly, and miraculous things happen. Yeah, absolutely. You need to go. You know, again, you know, going back to the whole development thing. I think. The experts, you've got to leave the things to the experts. Subject matter experts, yep. they are there for a reason. You're not, you're not going to know everything. So you need to leave no. these sort of things to the experts. Uh, absolutely. And talking of experts, I know you work with your husband, but you a bit like me, he's there working with your, you in a company. Does he work with you all the time or does he do his own stuff as well and you just meet in the middle occasionally? 
Yeah, pretty much what you said. Second, we have our own roles in the business. Obviously, it was very challenging when we first started because, you know, not knowing each other on a, in a work capacity, it was different. Yeah. And, playing to each other's strengths. And eventually when we worked out, you know, what his strengths were, what my strengths were, it sort of naturally fell that way because I ended up doing the yep. things I enjoyed doing. He ended up doing the things he enjoyed doing. And then it kind of complemented each other. So it worked out really well. So no, we don't sort of glue, glue to the hip. However, yes, we do communicate uh, occasionally, a bit more than that actually. But yeah, so um, we do have a lot of uh, things that we do in common sometimes, but mostly my role is very much finding the deals, getting the pipeline organized, speaking to investors, liaising with them. And then he comes in when we then manage to secure a deal, we get the terms because he's really good with numbers. So it's always good for me to get a second opinion with him. Yeah. He will look at it from a different angle. He's very, very good at maths and numbers. And and then he will then take over and look at the construction side of things and work with the contractors on getting the JCT contracts, numbers, you know, figures, all of that stuff. Fantastic. So you've got it really well, well, so you know, well planned out. It's nothing worse than trying both of you trying to do the same things or stand on each other's toes. A disaster. Yeah, as you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't. I don't think I can manage him or control him in any any way. <laughs> oh no, neither can I. Um, and we always used to laugh that you know, for richer for poorer, but not for lunch. Um, <laughs> you know, I, all that. Although although we are we are based in the same same room office that that's about as close quite often as we get absolutely now one of the one of the things is that you work in a particularly high value area as well don't you which is why I was surprised to see just how many deals you have going through at any one time because a lot of people do say you know, if you were say living in your area that you should go somewhere else to find a gold mine you've worked very much in the area around your home haven't you. It has, yes, absolutely. And I think the reason why is obviously, you know, going back to when I started out, my main reason was actually giving up to spend quality time with the kids. Now, if I then went and found another gold mine area 100 miles away, it would defeat the purpose completely. And to be fair, I did try doing a deal in Coventry, which didn't work. And um, that was it, really, in Coventry. And and I thought, you know what, we did dilly-dally with this idea many times, you know, oh, it'd be so much cheaper, the rental income is yep. still as great, cash flow, you could pull out all your money and go again. And we tried that, but it just somehow didn't work for us. And it's great, you know, we are within an hour of any of our deals, which is much easier, as you said, to manage on a daily basis. And, you know, although now my kids are grown up, they're at uni, so the time constraint is not there as much, but it's just where we built up a portfolio around here. And now we've just, uh, you know, learned a bit more and we just want to stick. But yes, at times it can be very challenging because the numbers are quite high and you're having to put in a lot of money into a lot of these deals. And you can't get all out. But that just that just means that you've got to be better at getting investment in and then, then having a really good financial team beside you to be able to mortgage you out properly at the end or finance you properly, haven't you? I agree. Although saying that, all the HMOs, we've pulled out all the funds from all the HMOs. So they are all at infinite return. Yep. But now, obviously, the commercial to residential, because we're keeping the properties, remember, obviously, 25% of your equity is still in the property, because obviously, yep. uh, so we managed to pull out some of our funds, but not all. So, yes, it's challenging, but I think we've kind of got used to it. And every time we try and explore a different area, somehow we just end up coming back to, you know, the local patch, which we know better and works for us. Which is Slough. 
which I have to say is possibly the worst named place in the whole of the country. Oh, I and know. In fact, you only have to say Slough and immediately everybody thinks that marvellous John Betjeman um, poem, isn't it? What? Come friendly bombs and rain on Slough, which couldn't be more different because I was absolutely amazed to discover. I thought when I started to look at why you invested there, I thought, well, no wonder she does, you know. It's got an employment rate of the third of the national average. It's amazing. That's quite really good statistics. But what I I was completely taken aback was was that you know it's got the biggest trading park in Europe. Yeah. And you think everyone tells us that Britain is going down the tubes, and yet you know you've got what twenty thousand or so people employed there on that one park. And it's literally two miles away from where I am. Yeah. And it's just such a buzzing and vibrant place. So why wouldn't you then actually go, this is the place to work? And and I think this rule applies to anyone anywhere in the country. If you don't want to flog your way across country to somewhere, all it's telling you is you've got to just raise more money to get going, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's challenging, but then it's exciting at the same time because then you have to then obviously go up to the market and try and then, you know, raise more money and, and do that. And then people down here have much more money anyway. So hopefully... Uh, it works. It works. And of course, the other thing is that, you know, I hear my glibly talking about, you know, we'll just go out and find more money. You went out and found more money in a slightly unusual way. You know, like me, you set up your own property networking group. And originally you had J6, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Great meeting, quite a small niche one. And I used to come to it when I could because I lived down that way. And then suddenly you went, let's go supersized. Let's stop doing a three, you know, two-hour one. And you moved over to a lovely hotel just outside Gerald's Cross, and you've created the the Titans Meet, haven't you? And community. Tell me about how you set that up and what got you going, because it's an enormous amount of work. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be honest with you. So obviously, COVID happened. I think we were going about four years with the J6, and. We kept going with the online events, by the way, and we kept doing the monthly events, you know, on those crazy Zoom calls with 60 people on there. We had the speakers. We kept going, kept going. And then we thought, look, this is the right time because J6 was great, but we were growing and we knew that there was definitely more uh, people who wanted to attend. We could have gone, you know, bigger, better. And, uh, you know, I, and I think so we upgraded to Jared's Cross, not far from where your Bucks property meet was. I know. We were the next top hotel. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And Crown Plaza is an amazing venue because it's got a, a it's got a conference center. So it's very catered for conferences like us. And it's got everything under one roof. And I thought, you know what? The one thing I hated when I was going to networking events is you're always hungry. You're starving because it's the middle of from 6 till 9 p.m. That's just prime dinner time. And I'm a foodie yeah. very much so at heart. And I thought, you know what? I hate people starving because I used to be that starving person. And then you end up just having junk, packet of crisps you know you're there and you just and I was like look I'm going to make it a little bit more expensive but that is going to include all the food the buffet the teas and coffees water whatever it is that you need in order to just focus on networking and learning at the event and you know creating those long-term relationships so that's how it began and Crown Plaza was amazing and uh yeah. and I haven't looked back since Absolutely. And you you knew, as I say, I've been and you do, there's a lot of interpersonal networking that goes on in those those meetings that last quite a long time because it's physically impossible to hide yourself in the corner and just sit with your bottom on the seat and not go anywhere. You know, people will come and talk to you and you've got to go and talk to other people. But it is a lot of work, as you say, and you know you must spend a fair amount of your time looking for new speakers or putting the whole thing together because you have more than one speaker per meet. 
and you've got to get the whole thing put together, haven't you? Yeah, it's kind of autopilot now, but yes. Now we've built up a community of about 80, 70, 80 members, so VIP members and sponsors. So, you know, that now itself is great because then we have someone bringing along a free guest every now and then. From the, you know, the members do, they're allowed to bring a free guest and then the guests mostly join as well. So it's kind of now, you know, compounded effect, as it were, I think, has set in. Absolutely. But, you you know, for those people who are sitting in some parts of the country where there aren't many networking meets, just get off your bottom and go and do it. Start because, one. You know, start one. Absolutely. Because the, the, the null, the, sort of the nut of the whole thing is what are you going to talk about? Property in all its many forms. And people love coming to talk about it because, as you know, you know, people love speaking about it. And there's not been many speakers who have asked and they've refused. Most people love to share what they're good at in property and what they, you know, what they like doing. And, and, and you invite them and they're, they're more than happy to come and share their knowledge and expertise. Absolutely. Now, what, what, uh, looking back over your 13 years, which is quite a long time, you know, because a lot of people, funnily enough, come into property and then go again. We're quite in the minority, those of us who, who are just trundling along, constantly doing it. What do you think, looking back, has been the biggest challenge? Being a woman or not knowing enough or what? I think the biggest challenge is juggling around the money and the cash flow and getting investors on board, you know, just so that. We've got, oh, there's two deals every year, two or three deals a year. And, you know, as you said, pulling out the money, but then also raising equity. So raising equity and keeping all the cash flow intact has been very, um, and in the last sort of few months, even mortgage interest rates rise have gone up to a crazy level. So making sure all of the mortgages are fixed. I'd say juggling around the money aspect and raising equity has been challenging for sure. And I know you are someone who, uh, a bit like me, we, we have long-term plans, we have goals, we have very much got a strategy. And I, I, listening to your conversations earlier, you're clearly still excited about buying and, and you know, you're not going, oh, it's all a bit difficult at the moment, we're going to you know take our foot off the pedal. Are you a Warren Buffett girl who, who likes to be greedy when everyone else is fearful? You know, I'll be honest with you, I think, Rachel, the next, I would say, 12 months or so is a great opportunity to buy. And there's no point in shying away at this time because as soon as the mortgage rates start to go down, things are going to change again and it's going to become a, a seller's market almost, you know. So take the opportunities when they, it's a very defined period when these opportunities will last. So I'd say, although it's a bit challenging right now, stick at it. And, you know, as you said, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going, like, you know, you like you and me. Yeah, go shopping again. Absolutely. And I think that's that's been very important. You've you too have had a very firm plan. You didn't just do the first two HMOs and then go, oh, should we just float along and oh we'll do that and we'll do that. It's been very structured. You've known what you're going to do. You've got excitements coming up over the future for the next five, ten years. Do you know what you're you know, what you're going to be doing? So I think where I'm thinking of like I'd say the next sort of two to three years, maybe even just two years, my plan is to maybe just look at the whole class E de uh, permitted development. And again, it's also, we don't know how long this is going to stay because come a Labour government, they might just take it all away. So while this, you know, what is it? Make hay where the sun shines or something like that. Yes, that's right. Um, yep, absolutely. While you have this PD in place, while it's a buyer's market, make hay. And I'd say for the next two years, I'd say I'll be looking to do more mixed use, commercial to residential permitted development projects. And I'd say come 2025, 2026, I want to be in a position where the cash flow and everything is all sorted. I have a lot of extra sort of, you know, extra income to play with. And I also want to start helping people more with 
uh, inspiring people more, motivating them more. And I think my end goal as it work-wise is maybe doing some sort of a global motivational talk around not just property, property being the main main sort of center piece, but also around health, well-being, all the other bits and pieces that you need in order to be able to be good at being an entrepreneur or being good in a business. Because, you know, health, well-being, physical, mental health, it's all part of it. It does make a big difference. Yes. And of course, you, you, I mean, that's very neatly brought me in from the last thing I was going to talk to you about was that um, I know that you have also found yourself very unusually for most people, you you were actually part and parcel of the planning reform, weren't you? In nineteen twenty, in two thousand twenty one, you were asked to go and put a bit of input in with the Secretary of State for Housing. What was that like? It was quite exciting, actually, and I was like, I couldn't believe I was actually part of this whole. It was a Zoom call back then. Yeah, it was very exciting. Robert Jenrick was the then Housing Minister, and as you know, they come and go like within weeks. Now. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yep. It was quite exciting. I'm just trying to think now what was the actual topic. It was to do with the actual planning system and how we can reform the whole planning system, how to bring back in green belt and all of that conversation at the time, I think it was. But looking back on it, did you think that the minister was well informed or were you somewhat startled that you were the person, the, you know, the people who were in the know and this was a government minister who was going to be feeding information? Yeah, I think, to be honest, he. It it seemed like he knew a little bit, obviously, as well, but not quite enough, I don't think. It wasn't, it was kind of, I mean, it's been a while now, so it's been a couple of years now. So I'm just trying to rejig my memory. But I mean, I think, firstly, he was a bit informed, but I think he was definitely quite keen to get our input. So I think he was, he was definitely interested and he was genuinely interested, I think, at the time. Whether he, well, I think I that's very impressive. But I think that's also quite reassuring for many people out there who may well have, you know, I had input onto the last white paper, and and you think I've done all this work because it is a lot of work. You do have to be very well prepared. You do have to answer questions truthfully and and well informed. And then nothing happens, or it all does happen, and then it gets taken away at the end, just as you think it's going into law. And I, I knew, would you say to anyone if you get asked to join in, join in, or? Uh, you know, did you find it a lot of effort for not a lot? No, I think it's quite a quite a good experience, actually. I say definitely because I think you've been asked to come and you know give your input because you know a little bit about it. Yes, you may have to do a bit of research on it, but I think in the end it turned out to be a really good experience. Really enjoyed it. Fantastic. Well, um, now Manny, how can people find you if they've not already found you? What where can they seek you out? I'd say YouTube. It's at Manny Chopra. It's my handle for LinkedIn, Instagram as well. Uh, it's uh, again, it's Manny Chopra. It's like the constant word where you can just put me on any of the social media platforms, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. Yeah, I'm not on TikTok yet. Are you? No, no. Do I look like a TikTok person, Manny? Yeah, trust me. <laughs> everyone's a TikTok now, Rachel. You and me are the only odd ones out here. But yeah, you know, I'm there. So if you guys need me, come and have a look. My website is chopraproptygroup.com. So they can look at my projects. Uh, we tend to update them sort of on a monthly basis in terms of what our projects are going. So it might be slightly behind, but generally speaking, you'll see what projects we're doing. You know, as you said, videos are there. I've got YouTube playlists for each of my projects. We try and sort of do it in chronological order. Date-wise, we have all the videos there. So as you said, it's easy for people to understand what we're doing, how the conversion is going, what are our challenges, all of that. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for finding the time. And I wish you every success and can't wait to come and see your, you know, your venue and come back to your networking next time. I'm that you're part of the world. 
So it's fantastic. Thank you. I'd love to see more of you, Rachel. We do miss you around Buckinghamshire because I know you were a regular at one point. So definitely love to see you there maybe after the summer. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Manny has been successful for a reason in that she's got a very big plan and knows exactly what she's going to be doing in the next few years in order to ride out any market bumps. She makes sure that she has no short-term knee-jerk decisions. But that's not easy if you haven't got a plan. And if you haven't got a plan, then come and have a strategy session with me, either a full day or just a bite-sized two-hour session. And go to my website, racheltroughton.com, and I spell my name Rachel with an A-E-L, and follow the links to book into my diary. And let's get you performing at the top of your game, delivering your dream. Now you've heard Manny, go and look her up. All her links are in the show notes and you'll be able to see her on site in her high vis explaining exactly what she does. So back to that limiting belief. If you look hard enough, you're going to find somebody else to inspire you. They didn't have a problem, so you won't either. Thank you for listening to The Property Solopreneur with me, Rachel Troughton. If you've enjoyed this episode, do hit subscribe and kindly leave a review and share this podcast with anyone you think it would help on their property journey. If you'd like to get hold of my guide for building a successful property business, go to racheltroughton.com forward slash checklist. We only live one life. So let's get your dream a reality through building a profitable property business.